0: Well, friends, we've come to episode 10 of Felons on Film, the season finale, and we're leaving you with a big one. Phil Spector, the 2013 HBO original film starring Al Pacino and Helen Mirren and directed by David Mamet, based on the trial, or at least the final days of the trial of Phil Spector in the murder of Lana Clarkson. We had a lot of fun with this episode, and I hope you guys do as well. Uh, It's kind of like we kind of figured out exactly what we wanted to do with this show in episode 10. So if you like it and you want to hear more, please email us at geekardshow at gmail.com or tweet us at felonsonfilm on Twitter and let us know if you guys want a season two and what films based on true crimes that you'd like us to cover. And uh, for now, let's listen to episode 10 of Felons on Film.
1: Mad
2: I'm right. You do have a schedule. Welcome to the show where we try to figure out if the crime was worth our time this is felons on film I'm Andrew young I missed that you started pressing the record button I didn't shut up that's a that's a really long name
1: <laughs> yeah yeah usually I just respond to shut up but you know that's what I assume that's what my name is because that's what people yell at me all the time
2: okay shut up but anyways this is felons on film and this week it is our 10th and final episode of the season <gasps> oh it's the season finale of Felons on Film. Will we get picked up for season two? Maybe. We'll see. Picked up by who? By the powers that be at Geek Heart Studios. That's not going to happen. You have such a positive attitude on this show. I am just very well aware of
1: what I bring to the table, and it's not enough for that. Yeah, you're right. We edit that part out.
2: But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's like when, we, when I release the show... Like, we're, re- we're recording this now, but when people hear it, it people are going to think, oh, he's talking to a ghost.
1: Yeah. No, it's just <laughs> going to be like lo- long pauses of, of just you talking, and then maybe you might piece together responses from me.
2: Yeah. Yes. That sounds about right. Sounds about right. Listeners, you can uh, respond and tell me if you want me to release the lost tapes of Elspeth McRob. <laughs> <My laughs> we might release them. Who knows? Oh,
1: my God. Were you secretly recording
2: the the pre-recorded shit because no I'm talking about all the stuff I'm going to take out during the show oh (laughs) but yes for our 10th and final episode we are actually going to a 2013 HBO film written and directed by David Mamet I think this is our most recent film um possibly possibly I'd have to go back and look but yes this is from 2013 and it is Phil Spector which of course looks back on the trial or behind the scenes of the trial of the murder of Lana Clarkson.
1: Mm -hmm. It has Helen Mirren in it.
2: It does have Helen Mirren. I know names. Good for you.
1: I know, I know names of two people in this film.
2: And the other one is? Al Pacino. Good for you. Now, do you know the interesting thing with Lana Clarkson is she was a very small bit part, like practically like just a featured extra in Scarface.
1: Yes, she was. Yeah. You know how I know that? Because if you type in Lana Clarkson, after it stops trying to tell you that who you're really looking for is Lacey Peterson, um, it says Lana Clarkson, Scarface.
2: There you go, yeah. She was in an Al Pacino film oh. before she died.
1: And then Al Pacino gets to talk about not killing her.
2: Yeah, to be clear, for anybody who doesn't know, Al Pacino didn't kill her.
1: No. <laughs>
2: yeah. sure. No, cuz he's yeah, playing- I know. He's playing Phil Spector. I know. I just wanted to throw that out there.
1: Who like Whoa. quote unquote didn't kill her.
2: That's right. So, the murder happened in 2003 and the first trial happened in 2007, a second trial took place in 2008, and the verdict was given out in 2009. So why don't you tell us about the real crime? Oh, what? I
1: I get to talk now. Do, 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 do. Okay, so the crime is pretty simple. Phil Spector went to a bar, a nightclub called the House of Blues in Hollywood, picked up a waitress there. They went back to his house, and... They weren't inside for very long. His bodyguard heard a gunshot. Phil Spector came out and allegedly said, I think I just killed someone. And they found Lena Clarkson in his foyer, dead of a gunshot wound to the head. That's the crime. In the case, which is what the movie's about, it goes through his defense, which was that he didn't kill her. She killed herself. She, for some reason went over to Phil Spector's house and went, oh, thank you for this gun, and can I kiss it? And shot herself by accident. That was his defense, because that's reasonable.
2: The first trial ended in a jury, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the original 2003 trial, after 44 hours of deliberation, they couldn't come to a conclusion, so it was a mistrial. He then got a second trial started, Pretty soon after. So the mistrial was the end of September and the new trial started like mid to end of October. So it was pretty quick that the second trial happened and that one was closed. We don't know what happened in that
2: trial. It was right, six months was, long though. It was like a long was, trial. Yeah. There was no media watching it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then it was six months and then he was found guilty. Of second he was actually, murder. Second degree murder and using a firearm in commission of a crime was technically his second charge.
2: I really didn't know much about Phil Spector except he was the creator of the Wall of Sound. He produced some of my favorite soul music from the late 60s and early 70s. That's about it. So going into this particular film, I knew nothing of the trial and... Mm -hmm. I knew very little about what happened. I knew that he was, of course, charged with murder at some point, but I had never really delved into it. I didn't know who Lana Clarkson was or anything like that. And so, of course, this film, written and directed by David Mamet. David Mamet, a fantastic playwright, an okay filmmaker, and an all-right screenwriter. But, of course, his first love is plays. And we'll get into that a bit later. But, yes, so he's the, the writer and director of this film. Now, people... I don't think I need to define what based on a true story actually means, but watching this film, I feel like I need to sit David Mamet down and tell him what based on a true story means.
1: Why? Because
2: the opening of the film starts with a credit that just says, this is a work of fiction. It's not based on a true story. It is a drama inspired by actual persons in a trial, but it is neither an attempt to depict the actual persons nor to comment upon the trial or its outcome. Guess what? You're using actual persons about a trial that really happened. That means it's based on a true story. Yeah, but okay. So Phil
1: Spector's is fucking cocoa Banana Pants. Like, I think that that was just so that Phil Spector wouldn't say anything. Maybe it's just the equivalent of your sibling standing in your doorway being like, I'm not
2: in your room. I'm not in your room. I'm guessing that comes from uh, actual life experience on uh, your end.
1: A lot of pain. Wasn't that a particular...
2: Did, was there a door on your room? You could have, like, closed the door.
1: Okay. Do you have younger siblings? Yeah, you're I the middle child.
2: And did, your, did that stop your
1: siblings? My siblings were afraid of me because mm. they were much younger. My siblings are also afraid of me, but there's just a certain point before they reach that where they're just the
2: most annoying humans
1: on planet Earth. Um, And if they're getting a rise out of you, they think that's
2: more funny. So wait a second. Are you telling me that someone related to you are the most annoying humans on Earth? I can't see that at all. Right? I'm so pleasant and lovely. (laughs) So Al Pacino of course, plays Phil Spector in this movie. And Helen Mirren plays his defense attorney, Linda Kenny-Badden, Baden, is brought in as legal counsel when his main legal counsel decides to go, I'm going back to New York. Fuck this shit.
1: Decides is a strong word. He, Phil Spector went through a couple lawyers during his trial.
2: Right. I'm just yeah, I'm just talking about within the film. But yeah, so what's the actual history in real life of his lawyers, do you know?
1: So he's charged in November of 2003. Mm-hmm. February 2004, he fires his original defense attorney. He replaces him with Leslie Aberstem. Yeah. In August, Leslie retires or resigns. And then he hires Bruce Cutler, who is the person we see in the film.
2: Yes. Yeah, played by Jeffrey Tambor. It says in the film, and I'm guessing this is based mm-hmm. on real life, is that... Uh, He was uh, John Gotti's lawyer.
1: Yes. And because
2: he got John Gotti off, that's what made him interesting to Phil Spector.
1: Yes. And he lasts the longest because he lasts from 2004 until 2007. But when he leaves the defense team, he cites a difference of opinion between Mr. Spector and me on strategy. So Spector went through quite a few lawyers. It was not like weird for him to switch attorneys. Right.
2: Now, it's safe to say that the way this film is laid out that Specter is not the star of the film. No. Linda Linda Kenny Baden is the star of the film. This is from Helen Mirren's perspective. We follow her throughout the entire film. We get to see her kind of struggling with the reasons why she wants to defend Specter.
1: Yes. I don't really know very much about her, weirdly, because she kind of just popped in at the end yeah. of the trial. Like, they don't really- Even talk- in the
2: movie, it kind of shows that they were pretty much near the final days of the trial. And yeah. Bruce was like, I'm out of here. And even though they don't show it, it's talked about how he basically says in court, I'm stepping down, blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah. Because, like, in everything that I read and everything that I listened to on this, she wasn't brought up particularly. They actually- talk more about Bruce whatever his last name is Bruce Cutler they talk more about him than they do her we because and i think it's because that she was technically his defense lawyer for less than 20 days
2: they kind of show in this film like the position they take is that cutler brings her in to be like hey i'm piecing out of this could you just finish up Could you do cleanup for me i'll see you later yeah. sort of thing and so yeah so helen Mirren is the kind of uh front and center for most of this film what i enjoyed is that her first scene she comes in and basically shows cutler that the team of lawyers he's put together to back him up are too young and too stupid to understand the case we which
1: was very silly because I know nothing about music. I know nothing about law, and yet I was still able to figure out what she like. Because a test was her being like, "What's this thing? Yo, you don't know what a record player is. Go away." I'm like, I know what a record player is. I know what a forty five is. Does that mean that I'm qualified to be his lawyer? This is a bad test, Helen Mirren. It's a bad test.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. But those opening scenes were very David Mamet in the sense that it's were rapid they? fire. Yes, it's very rapid fire conversation between two characters where it's almost like beats from a song. They're like moving so fast. It's back and forth and back and forth. And half of the things they're saying are not necessary, but it's part of the rhythm. So some of the things they're saying are not directed to the other person, but just... This fits in here as an aside, which to me is the reason why in some films, Mamet's dialogue works and sometimes it doesn't because, He's still writing plays. And if you look at this film, it is laid out as a play. We don't get any huge courtroom scenes. We don't get a lot of scenes with a lot of people. We get a lot of like two-handers, a lot of two people talking back and forth, sometimes three-handers, three people talking back and forth. And it's all in the sense that you could easily do this on stage this film
1: oh that explains that courtroom scene where they make the fake courtroom
2: which i thought the fake courtroom was overly elaborate in the sense that they probably didn't build a courtroom to do their practice test with specter they probably just sat him in a room and did a regular line of questioning
1: yeah but it, i don't know i felt the way that it was shot like even when i was watching it it reminded me of watching like a play yeah so no. that explains that scene then good <laughs> points that's what i'm saying i'm agreeing with you this is what me agreeing with you looks like
2: wow taking us 10 episodes to get here but yeah.
1: uh that's why i had that's why i felt i might have to explain it to you for you to understand what's happening
2: because it just it's so new it is very new But I will say, again, this is kind of a regular trait of David Mamet, is that the film clips by. Like, it is a 90-minute film, and it doesn't take a breather. It's just like, bam, 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 next scene, next scene, next scene. There's no moments to breathe. There's no slow scenes. It's very much like a, here, here you go. Here's all the info. Peace, we out of here, sort of thing. And I appreciated that. (laughs) I appreciate that very much.
1: I appreciate that the films we watch for this podcast are 90-minute films. Because I join Alex in watching films for his podcast. They pick fucking
2: long films. It drives me bonkers.
1: But ours are always nice and short, and I appreciate that.
2: There you go. On my main show, Geek Card, we usually cover new films. Most of them are pretty long these days. There's not a lot of 90-minute films anymore. So it's nice that we're finding the sweet pocket. Although, we did do Zodiac. Zodiac.
1: That one was fucking. Oh, it was a slog. Was, I remember correctly, I had to watch that film over like over the course of like four days. I literally just couldn't find the time to finish
2: it. Oh, so let's talk about Pacino let's, as Spectre, okay? He so was you, so good. Yeah.
1: Sorry,
2: did you have a question that I... Well, I was just about to ask, is like you have watched interviews with Spectre, including one of the interviews that they base a scene on in this film. So how close was... Pacino's depiction of Spectre
1: Super friggin close. Like the way that he kind of just rambled and you're like uh, t- running to try to catch connect the dots. Like that's how he talked in all his interviews. He was fucking all over the place. And that he had that, I don't know, like a lisp or something. I don't know. The way he forms his words is strange. And and the one, the the interview that I was talking about was, pretty sure they do this in the film and I'm not making it up. And you know, he's sitting on a couch, I think. And he's talking about what happened to like a reporter. And he kind of just like starts talking about all like his career and what happened that night and how Lana was crazy and all that sort of that, how happened in the real interview. And it it
2: was really hard to follow. Now uh, there's the one scene in the film where they're showing archival footage of him being interviewed in the recording studio during a session. Yeah. Where he goes in and tells off the session musicians and pulls out a gun. Now, was that actually based on actual footage i don't think it was based on footage i could be wrong but i
1: haven't seen that footage i do know it's based on a story though i do recognize the story as being one that people who worked with him brought up okay like that was something he did
2: now if you were a singer in a band Mm -hmm. and the producer walked past you with a gun and walked in and threatened the lives of the session musicians do you think you'd be able to hit the high notes after that Do you think you'd be able to fulfill the song um i think that if that happened to me i would immediately
1: become a much better singer than I am but the thing is he was known to do this it wasn't a secret
2: Yeah, well, like, in the movie, they kind of say that he had a room full of guns. Now, is that true? Did he have, like, an armory in his house? I don't know how to call it an armory, but he had multiple guns. Okay.
1: And he, like I said, he was known to kind of like guns and to brandish them not safely. Like, he did do it to multiple women. And all kind of for the same reason, because they didn't want to sleep with him. Which is why I think he did it.
2: There's kind of the theory put in place on the reason why he went to that level to get women is that the, the belief was that before he was famous, he couldn't get a woman. And then he became this big shot producer that everybody wanted to get with. But then the glimmer faded off of that and he was addicted to the lifestyle. And so that became a part of trying to maintain said lifestyle.
1: Um, I know he was addicted to cocaine. That's what he, yeah, was, addicted he was addicted to. He was
2: addicted to cocaine, but he was also addicted to power. Yeah. It's very yeah. obvious that he had a power f- fantasy.
1: Oh yeah. Ab- like that part for sure. But I think that for the most part, he just, he was a really fragile, eco-human being. He couldn't handle being told no kind of anywhere. Because it wasn't just women. It was also if the musicians didn't do what he wanted. It's kind of brought up in the story, but... Lana is originally rude to him when they meet in the bar. And then someone goes, do you know who that is? You have to go be nice to him. And so I think that it wasn't just women that he was mean to or rude to or threatening with. It was anybody who told him no. Anyone who didn't do exactly what he wanted them to do. So I think he was absolutely addicted to the power and lots of cocaine.
2: Now, of course, Lana Clarkson is portrayed in this film, even though we don't see very much of her, she's portrayed in this film as a quote-unquote washed-up actress who never made it. And Bruce Cutler's original idea is to present that She was crazy and all this sort of stuff. Do you know if that was Cutler's stance during the actual trial?
1: I mean, I know that's kind of how they took it. It was a lot of trying to walk back on what Phil Spector said in interviews and very much burying what actually happened and what Lana actually was like and trying to put forward this idea that she was just really desperate to sleep with him. They tried to say that she was suicidal They definitely just really pushed this idea that she was mentally unstable because only mentally unstable people would go into a stranger's house and shoot themselves. And also a slut. You know, she wanted to go home with Phil Spector because she went home with lots of different rich men because she was trying to get married. She was trying to marry wealthy because she couldn't make it in Hollywood, but also she wanted to kill herself at the same time. It didn't make sense then.
2: No, definitely not. Now, of course, there's not a lot, as you said, there's not a lot of information on Linda Kenny Badden. The way this film is laid out, Helen Mirren plays the character as very sympathetic towards Spectre and actually believes that he didn't do it because of the time she spent with him. Now, do you buy the character's motivations in this, this film? Do you feel like Spectre has given her enough to actually latch on to, to believe in? Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, I would probably have doubts because he's so scattered that if you look at it, you, know, like, you go, how could he possibly hold on to a thought for long enough to actually follow through with it? Like, yeah, maybe he would go, oh, maybe I should kill her. But then that thought would just fly away. Cause he he'd just,
2: start he'd start talking about the Righteous Brothers instead.
1: yeah. <laughs> something would distract him and go, Oh, shiny thing. Off you go. Like, I think it's totally believable that you wouldn't, if you actually spent time with him, it'd be hard to believe. Because he's also so tiny. He's a very small human. So small humans. <laughs> he's a really small human. <laughs> small humans have more trouble giving it crimes? Is that... Uh... Yeah, it's really hard to feel threatened by someone you have to look down at. You see video of the guy and it's like, I could probably pick him up and carry him like a baby.
2: The one other thing that they touch on multiple times in the film is the blood splatter and the fact that the gun the bullet did not pass through the skull was lodged in the skull so all blood would come out from the mouth and nose area and there was only three droplets of blood on phil Spector's suit it's true if he had been closer he would have been completely covered in it it's true they really go down through the whole thing of like actually putting together like a dummy with like a particular Mm -hmm. skull and everything like that to show how it could work. Yet the court doesn't allow them to use any of that evidence in court in the film.
1: Yeah. I don't honestly know about that. Like, they said it in the movie, but I couldn't find anything to prove it or, or disprove it. So I don't know what that means.
2: So this could technically be just a theory from the mind of Mamet, just to tell it a story? Could, it
1: could. It, it's like Schrodinger's theme, yeah.
2: It could be true
1: or it could not be true, both equally at the same time.
2: Kind of interesting, though, if it is something that they just put together for the film, they spend, because again, we would mentioned it's a 90-minute film. Yeah. They spent about 35 minutes overall throughout the film with the whole skull idea.
1: That makes me feel like I just haven't come across it in my research because there's, with every case, but especially this case,
2: there's just so much information
1: in it because it's yeah. technically two trials and the trials were both very, very long, that it's totally possible that this happened and there's just only a couple, so many sources reporting it. I know that there's tons of conspiracies about this case. It's very similar to Kirk Cobain where people have like mapped
2: stuff out. Wait a second. Are you saying Courtney
1: Love killed L- Lana
2: Clark? Yes. <laughs> (laughs) Is that? That's what it is.
1: (laughs) No, I just meant that like it wasn't. Fans have come up with so many theories, and they're all very like fully fleshed out. Mm -hmm. So it could be a fan theory that they liked and decided to use, or it could have really happened.
2: So overall, what are your thoughts on this film? Do you think it was an enjoyable film? Like, do you think it was worth watching? Do you think it was something to just be forgotten about altogether?
1: It was nice and short, and I got to watch Helen Mirren sniffle a lot. Al Pacino's
2: a fucking weirdo in it. It's great. Yeah, I thought the performances are really good. I just, and this is my only problem with Mamet, is that it's like if you're gonna do a play, do a play. If you're gonna do a film, do a film. Take a little bit of your budget and get a few extras. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it didn't show a real courtroom scene of the entire film. Yeah, yeah, because we heard their their closing arguments. Okay, closing arguments, but the actual trial. Yeah. So basically there's about one minute and 30 seconds of actual trial time in this film. Okay. It's like if you're going to do a play, do a play. That's all I'm saying. You know, if you're going to do a, a f- film, don't do a play as a film. Why? Because I want to see a little bit more production value for an HBO film.
1: I I spent all their money getting Al Pacino and Helen Mirren. Getting Al Pacino into those fucking wigs. Did you know that that bit that he said about Beethoven and Einstein, that was the real thing? that he actually is recorded is really saying that's why he chose the big poofy hair <laughs>
2: <laughs> but like overall i thought it was an entertaining time i just didn't feel it was a film that's why i didn't feel i felt it was a play that they recorded <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it was, hamilton
2: did that it was very nope, popular in but football. that was an actual play not a film that just did all the parameters of a play that was an actual recording of a play that's different.
1: I am like 90% certain that there is a director that basically only does plays, movie plays. And I don't know who
2: it is because too much pain medication <laughs> in my system right now. All right.
0: that's. But I know that I'm going to know. It's
2: fitting that you're hopped up on pain meds. For this. <laughs> Seriously, I'm going to message you at like...
1: 3am and there's going to be a very witty retort to this problem that you're putting
2: on the table okay So just wait for it wait for it so wait. listeners, i will put in like a little like edit here where i jump in and either read witty retorts <laughs> or say she completely forgot and never sent me anything we'll find I'm... out and now
0: she didn't send me shit
2: and there we go that's your answer. I am I'm betting
1: that it was the second one. Yeah,
2: I'm betting it's the second one as well.
1: No, it's someone like Wes Anderson who's like known for doing really like visually weird movies but they're like weird because they look like plays i liked that about this movie
2: okay fair enough fair enough i thought helen Marin did a really good job pacino was very entertaining i don't
1: know why she was sick the whole time
2: yeah again well maybe if there was more information about linda out there in the world maybe she we didn't. might know Maybe that's all we knew about her. That she was
1: sick. Oh, be a weird thing to just know.
2: If you go back and listen to all ten episodes of Felons on Film, you might notice that there's a, a small cough. So maybe there'll be a world like a a theory that comes out later that Elspeth McRobb was always sick. Who knows?
1: <laughs> listen, I work with very tiny children.
2: There is a good chance that
1: yeah, I'm almost always sick. They're always sick.
2: Right. true there we go so maybe that was linda's problem she hung out with very tiny children <laughs> you can watch uh, phil specter it's available on what is that hbo thing called hbo crave not yet crave in canada but in the states it's hbo max there we go max. hbo max this is actually one of the few times where we can say exactly where you can see the film. yeah a lot of the films are like yeah so this is the film that came out in 2003 and is not available anywhere. But this time, we can tell you right now, it's available HBO Max and Craven Canada. There we go. So we have come to the end of our big journey through films based on real crimes for season one of Felons on Film. Did you have a good time, Elspeth?
1: I always have a good time with you.
2: Well, that makes one of us. All right.
1: that was (laughs) me. You forget that you had to be nice to me because it's our last episode and my
2: tooth hurts. Oh yes, your tooth. That's why she's on the pain meds. No other reason. Yeah. So there you <laughs> go.
1: Don't say it like that. jeez Yeah. So now we know the two things that Elspeth works with tiny children, and she may or may not have a pain medication addiction. Like She doesn't. I was joking. God. This podcast is not based on real people and or real events.
2: It is a drama inspired by an actual conversation between persons who hosted the podcast. It is neither an attempt to depict the actual persons <laughs> nor to comment on the podcast or its outcome. You're so prepared. Actually, to be
1: fair, I had the timeline. prepared.
2: Yeah, you I have had a, the
1: whole timeline in front of me.
2: Again, all I know about Phil Spector is that I enjoyed Darlene Love Records. That's about it. There he you is are. fucking weird. Yeah.
1: He's so fucking weird. That quote about stormtroopers? Yeah. Calling the district attorney Hitler-like? Also a true quote. Like, he just said that shit to people. So weird. So weird. Did- but I did learn today that the reason he wore wigs was because he got into a car accident and he had severe scarring on his forehead. Oh. Right?
2: That's a but then fucking- he still
1: wore that really weird poofy wig, which was
2: bigger. But that's the thing. If you know actually well, look at, movie. If you actually look at his mugshot, they have him with the wig removed the scars aren't that bad oh,
1: i just know that that's why he
2: wore the wigs yeah no he's very vain but yeah we've come to the end listen listeners if we do a season two there's gonna be some changes changes will mostly be on the back end like stuff that happens before we roll you're gonna start recording it
1: <laughs> that's what you're gonna do that's the change
2: because i'm really funny then you are pretty funny tonight yeah, it's the pain medication. We go way to continue that theory that our listeners are gonna
1: have. We already did the the text that protects us from everything.
2: And as you know, it really worked for me as a viewer seeing that in front of Phil Spector. Yeah. So of course. It's-
1: it worked great. We're just gonna you know what, and we're gonna go back and we're gonna redo all of season one now tonight. Tonight
2: in one yeah, night. Yeah,
1: we're just gonna go through all the films again, and then they won't know how boring I
2: was before. You're not boring. You're just a little eccentric. i
1: like Phil Spector. He was eccentric.
2: Yes, yes, he was. But yeah, so this has been Felons on Film season one.
1: Bow, bow, bow.
2: Tune in next year for season two or forever. next year. I mean, it's going to take a while for these ones to come out. So. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. You and I will still talk in the meantime. <laughs> it's not like you I'm going to just like never talking to her again unless we do a season two.
1: That's, I believe it.
2: I I'm will so say this so listeners. I feel like I
1: finally figured
2: it out. Yes. You finally figured it out at the end.
1: Yeah. And so now I'm sad it's over.
2: There's always hope for season two. But for now, we must bid you adieu. I've been Andrew Young.
1: I'm Sparkles. Bye, friends! (laughs)